All right, I've been doing a lot of interviews lately, and I'm very glad to be welcoming a new friend for another interview this morning. I re- I discovered who Mal was. I think she wrote me, but I've, I've been curious in who the coordinators of the WCA are throughout the United States. Uh, Mal is the coordinator over in, up in, Wisconsin uh, annual conference, and so they just got done with their annual conference last week. I have not read the updates on it. Uh, Mal, I, I already know, is the first Hmong uh, ordained clergy person in the United Methodist Church. Uh, there's a lot more about her that is worthy of distinction and getting to know, so we're going to learn about her story and then also talk about the present moment in the United Methodist Church and why it is that she feels it's important for us to be having the kind of conversations that we are. So I'm excited just to sit back and learn from Mal for a bit. Mal, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me, Jeffrey. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to have you. And it looks like you're having a good, uh, is this your home office, just your home? Is this your church office? Where are you this at? This is my home. You know, ever since COVID, I have been uh, having a hard time getting myself back to the office. I'm too comfortable at home. <laughs> yeah, home's a good place. And, you know, the office can be a good place, but if you can get yeah. good work done at home, you know, why go out? So. I know that's that's my reason every day. That's why it's so hard for me to get myself back to the office. <laughs> so, is uh, you live in what Greenfield, Wisconsin? Is that right? Yeah, the church I serve is in Greenfield, but I live in Greendale. So there's like neighborhood, you know. It's a small, the small village. Yeah, right suburb, a uh, suburb of Milwaukee. A suburb of Milwaukee. Oh, okay, great. Yeah. I kind of know that. Area. Of yeah. And yeah. you've been there. Have you been at the same church since 2013? Did I see? I, I'm, I stalked you on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. I've been here since then. This is actually my first church. I'm a very, I'm a very uh, new pastor compared to others, but I've been here for 10 years. And this is my one and only church that's, that I have pastored. That's really nice. That's really nice. And did, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not on your, did, was it Garrett Seminary that you attended? I attended Gear Seminary for my MDiv. Yes. Okay, excellent. Well, that's so we know mm-hmm. you. You are a Northern American person, um, but you're also from the ethnic Hmong group, which I don't know a whole yeah. lot about. I'd be surprised if many yeah. people in my audience know a whole lot about. So, how about um, let's start with your personal story? Were you born in the U.S. or were you born in Eastern no. Asia somewhere? Yeah, I was. I was born in Southeast Asia, Laos. Okay. Uh, my family, yeah, my family came to this country. Um, we settled in this country in 1979 um, as immigrants from the Vietnam War. My dad was involved with the Vietnam War, and so in uh, 1975, when the American, when the CIA pulled out from Laos, um, all of the American uh, supporters uh, had to had to escape, or they were, you know, face. Um, uh, judgment. And so my dad uh, was able to uh, get the family out. And we lived in a refugee camp for four years uh, in Thailand for four years. And then we got a sponsor who will, uh, we, we came to this con- country through the Catholic charity. And so they sponsored us and we uh, we came to this country in 1979. And I was 11 years old uh, when we came to this country. Yeah. So you're you're thoroughly Americanized then. If you came I, here at 11 years old, uh, but it, yeah. it, it, how much how much do you feel like culturally that you have a lot of your is it Laotian? How do you pronounce it? Laotian um, heritage? Yeah, well, yeah, Laos 
Laos is the country, right. but most people are the minority, the ethnic group in Laos. So we are still, you know, very minority. You know, Hmong people don't have a country of our right. own. Yeah. Hmong people, the majority of the Hmong people still uh, are in China. Okay. Um, but during the China uh, revolution, mm-hmm. um, they chased out the Hmong people. And so the, the Hmong people are kind of like spread out all over Southeast Asia. You have more people in Vietnam, you have more people in Thailand, Laos, Burma, you know, um, all this, over Southeast Asia, you'll find Hmong people. So both of your parents are ethnic Hmong, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, so you were raised in a household that was culturally Hmong, but then did you yes. attend public school in America growing yes. up? Okay. Yeah, in this country, then I attended public school, yeah. Uh, when, you all, when your family moved here, was it to Wisconsin? No, I <laughs> I actually been in probably more states than most people. <laughs> I move so much. Is that so? Our sponsor, yeah, our sponsor. Uh, initially, we settled in Toledo, Ohio, and then we were there for a year. And um, my 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 parents decided that they wanted to move to California, where uh, you know there was a lot of Hmong um, refugees settled in Fresno, California. You know, because the Hmong people they live, they like to live in community. They want to follow sure. each other. You know, and you know, that being uh, settling in this country where there's no Hmong people and it's hard. It's mm-hmm. hard for, you know, our elderly to adjust to the culture, to people who, who you know, they don't understand the language and mm-hmm. they don't care about the food. And so it just, you know, they just want to be, you know, where they are comfortable. So um, they, they, they took us to California and uh, we settled in Fresno, California for like a year. And then um, I have an older sister who, who, who was married and she came to this country maybe a couple of years before we did. And she, she and her husband lived in uh, Dallas, Texas. So um, they asked my parents who, why don't you guys come down to Dallas, Texas? You know, life would be better down here. Mm-hmm. And so we moved to Dallas, Texas. And that is where I went to high school. I graduated from Kimball High School in Dallas, in Dallas, Texas. And, uh, and then from there, um, my parents wanted to move back to Toledo, Ohio, for whatever reason. And so they moved back up to Toledo, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And so when I finished high school, I followed them up there. And then um, my, my dad, you know, was a church planter uh, in his own right. Uh, everywhere he goes, you know, he planted a, a church. And so when we were in Toledo, Ohio, uh, he felt the need to go to Detroit, Michigan to plant a Hmong church there because there was a, a quite a, a large Hmong community in Detroit uh, at that time. And so I ended up in Detroit. Um, my parents ended up moving to Detroit. And so, um, yeah, so I was in Detroit working, uh, trying to get back to school uh, when I uh, when my husband found me <laughs> and then we got married. And then I moved back to Texas because my husband was going to Dallas Theological Seminary there. And so I ended up moving back to Dallas, Texas, and I attended Criswell College uh, and got my biblical studies uh, through the Criswell College there, yeah. So, so yeah, I move all over. <laughs> yeah, you have. So how did you—well, okay, so we need to come back and figure out how you got to Wisconsin, where you are now. But before yeah. that, let's talk about—you said your father was a church planter for the Hmong yeah. Church— that's yeah. is that a sect of Christianity or is that mm-hmm. okay? Tell us it, it about is. the Hmong faith. Yeah, my dad, um, my dad became my dad and my mom. They became Christian. They converted into Christianity uh, way before I was born. You know, the the um, if if you didn't know anything about the Hmong people, mm-hmm. 
to be a Hmong is to be born into shamanism. That's their that's their religion. So um, to be a Hmong is to be shaman, uh, is to practice shaman as the religion. And shamanism is, is kind of like an animistic uh, religion where, you know, they they uh, they feed um, ancestor, but they also feed, you know, spirits. There is there's this belief that there are spirits everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, so it, there's 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 a lot of superstition, but there's also really real evil spirits that are present in, in the community. Mm-hmm. And so my dad was uh, tormented uh, by a, uh, an evil spirit. Mm. And that's how he became Christian. Uh, it was to you know he was tormented to the point where he he was he was literally dying. Mm. Uh, he couldn't eat. He couldn't go anywhere. He sleeps uh, with a a rifle on his side mm. because the evil spirit would come and torment him every night. And when uh, he just so happened to to found uh, to he visited a friend and he he saw a Bible and he started reading the Bible and he says, well, you know, if this God can save me from the spirit, I mm-hmm. will become a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he, he did. He became a Christian and God saved him. And so he just never turned back. He, the evil spirit is gone and he moved into the Christian community. And yeah, so. So was and, that while he was still living in Laos or was that after? Yeah, this okay. was before I was born. It okay. was in Laos. Yeah. Okay. And so that's why, you know, even though I'm Hmong, but I was born to a Christian family and mm-hmm. that, you know, being a Christian is, is all I know. You know, I never, we never practiced shamanism or anything like that. And so, um, yeah, so uh, the, the the Christian Mission Alliance, I don't know if you're familiar with this denomination. Sort of, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Christian Mission Alliance were the missionary who came to evangelize Laos back okay. in the 50s. And when they came to Laos, uh, originally, they were just trying to evangelize to the native Laotian, mm-hmm. but they didn't have any success. And so they went, they journeyed to the mountain where the Hmong people are. Hmong people are mountain people. They live in the villages up in the high mountains. And so the missionaries went to uh, to one of the Hmong village and was able to uh, successfully uh, convert it, uh, well, healed, one, uh, healed a, a, a lady who was possessed by demons. And uh, the missionary healed this lady, and then as a result, the whole village became Christians. Because when you can, when you can convert the shaman in the village, mm-hmm. you know the whole town, the whole village will become Christians. Sure. So, I mean, if you have time, uh, you could do some research on the the people movement in Laos in the fifty, and that is where the Hmong people were. You have you have vast majority of Hmong people coming to. It, Converting to Christianity, really, you know, in, in that time, yeah, and so that's when my, you know, and and that's how the the gospel got to Laos, and then um, uh, what was I gonna say? Yeah, so so the Christian Mission Alliance uh, were the were, were the only uh, denomination that the Hmong people know. Okay, uh, that were Christian. So even when we came to this country, we didn't know about different denominations. We just thought that well, the CMA uh, for acronym is the only true denomination. That's all we know. Yeah. Uh, but when we came to this country, you know, because my dad, you know, he 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 truly is a is a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not perfect, but you know, he he was devoted to God. Yeah. And so he wanted to be a he wanted to be a pastor in the Christian Mission Alliance Church, but because he was older and he didn't have the credential, they wouldn't allow him to be a pastor. So. Uh, someone from the Southern Baptist um, recruited him to join the, the Southern Baptist. Oh, so yeah, so he 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 joined the Southern Baptist, and then he was able to 
um, get his certificate and he became a, a pastor of, uh, for the Hmong churches. And so he that, that's how he planted churches. So he planted a few uh, a few Hmong churches, but also because he speaks Laotian, mm-hmm. he also planted a few Laotian churches in Did, this country. Is there are there many uh, are there many uh, Hmong Southern Baptist Convention churches? Yeah, there are. There is actually more. Uh, there are more Southern Baptist Hmong uh, churches than uh, Methodists. Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's is. interesting. So you so he became a Southern Baptist pastor when you were how old? Uh-huh. I was probably a teenager. Okay, and then yeah. you were you were raised going to the churches that your your father was leading. Yeah. So yeah. you're a preacher's yeah. kid. I'm a preacher's kid too. I was raised yeah. uh, going yeah. to. So then, did you um, you met your husband who's also Hmong? Did you meet him yeah. at church or another network? Um, well, he was actually attending uh, Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas, mm-hmm. while I was in Michigan, uh, but. Uh, but my sis, I have three sisters who were married who also live in Dallas, Texas. And so, you know, they, he came to church and he met them. And then uh, they introduced, uh, you know, him to me. And so that's how we got to know each other. Very good. So so he was actually CMA and I was Southern Baptist when we met. And so from Southern Baptist, I came back to CMA because he was a CMA and sure. he was ordained. He was an ordained uh, pastor in the CMA church. Okay. And so I was a I was a pastor's wife, you know, um, for many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but 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 to in 1994, when when I graduated, no, it, it was 19 no, it was 1998 when my husband and I was still in Dallas, Texas, mm-hmm. and he was pastoring a Hmong CMA church in Dallas, Texas. That my husband, not my husband, my dad. Uh, decided to retire from uh, his church in Detroit, Michigan. And he wanted my husband to come in and take over there after that church. Oh, neat. So, yeah, so that's why we we went back into the Southern Baptist uh, because of that. Sure, okay. Yeah, so from Dallas, Texas, uh, we moved to to, to Michigan, Detroit. Uh Yeah. Uh, So my husband can pastor uh, the Southern Baptist church that my, my dad planted there. So... Yeah, so it's not. Yeah, my life is all. You're yeah. <laughs> you're you're more adventurous than the average person. So you yeah. you were living in Michigan as a pastor's wife. Did did you and your husband have children at all? Yeah, we have three children. Okay, we have three children. So so then, did your children get to watch you um, go into ministry, or were they too young to to watch? That? Um. Okay. So from Michigan. Yes. Um. From Michigan, we moved to Winona uh, to pastor uh, a past uh, Southern Baptist church there. And in the in the Southern Baptist, uh, you know, my husband was a bivocation pastor because you know they couldn't afford him full time, so okay. he was working. He just you know he just helping the church on the side. Mm-hmm. And so in 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 Winona, uh, Minnesota, uh, the church was really small, and you know it was. It was to the point, and I don't know if you've ever been to Winona. It's a beautiful city, Mm-mm. but it's really small. There's nothing. There's nothing there. And so uh, my husband and I, you know, we were to the point where, you know, if we didn't uh, do something else with ministry, we're just going to probably just gonna quit ministry and just work and just become lay people, you yeah. know. But uh, somehow uh, he got uh, he got connected with one of his uh, nephew who 
is a part of the uh, Wisconsin Annual Conference. And he, um, he called my husband and says that Wisconsin Annual Conference has an opportunity for a church plant for a Hmong church in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And would my husband consider, uh, you know, joining the joining the United Methodist and planting a Hmong church in uh, in Green Bay? And so we pray about it, and then we didn't know too much about the Methodists at that time. Sure. We just yeah. thought they were Christian, you know, yeah. just like us. You know, they are. I mean, if you read, we read their doctrine, and they are. Sure. I mean, they they're, they're very solid doctrine. Yeah. Yeah, very solid doctrines, you know. Uh, and so, yeah, okay, so we we take it as an opportunity to you know to. Uh, to to be missionary to 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 join to, uh, to to be a part of this mission and so mm-hmm. we say yes and then we moved to to Green Bay so we we planted you know, my husband started a church that we did uh, plant a small church there uh, and then it was it was during the time that we were in Green Bay that I started to, you know, because in the Southern Baptist and the CMA, they do not affirm women leadership. Right. They don't affirm women's uh, preachers. So, mm-hmm. you know, the thought about being a pastor never crossed my mind, you know. And when I, when we came into the Methodist church, um, you know, there are people who say, well, you, we think that you have the gift, you know, for ministry, for pastors. You're crazy. My dad's a pastor. My husband's a pastor. Why do I want to be a pastor? I live a pastor, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that's that's crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. I love the church, and and I would serve as a pastor's wife, but I would never thought about being pastor. You right. Know? Yeah. But you know, as I continue to serve, you know, I uh, I think it's truly it's just God's calling. I mean, I never set out to be a Hmong pastor. I never set out to be the the first Hmong pastor, you know, female pastor. Yeah. You know, yeah. It just so happened that just this is just how. I ended up with, and I think it's all God's calling, God, God's grace is on me. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I, from there, I went to seminary. I attended seminary and then um, I graduated in, in three, a little bit over three years. And mm-hmm. then I, I was um, um, appointed to, to this church. Yeah. And then your husband, is he also ordained within the United Methodist Church now? Yeah, he was ordained. Uh, he was ordained. Um, he came in. He came into the United Methodist Church as a uh, as a uh, Southern Baptist clergy. Mm-hmm. So his process was, was a little bit different from mine. Yeah. But yeah, but he was ordained as well. Yeah. So does he pastor a different church than you? Um, right, not right now. He um he, he was when I. When I was appointed to uh, to Greenfield here, we were in Green Bay, so mm-hmm. they had to find another church for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was pastoring another church about an hour from here, mm-hmm. and he'd been through several churches. Uh, and eventually, last year, when uh, they appointed him to a Hmong church in the Milwaukee area, mm-hmm. but the Hmong church uh, d- decided that they did not want to disaffiliate, and so he just felt that that wasn't where he needs to be. So he, he actually... Uh, he's become he, he became a GMC clergy mm-hmm. uh, early on this year, but now he's working and he's just kind of waiting for you know for me and to see what's going to happen to our church and you know. But the end of this month and when uh, when we are finally uh, officially disfilled from the Wisconsin conference, then yeah, then my husband and I we do have plans to. To, to to start small groups and to maybe reaching out to the the, the Hmong people in our community here, 
because you know to be honest even you know even now in our days um in our the Hmong community mm-hmm. they still don't uh they still don't see me as a pastor yeah i think it would be really hard for a Hmong woman to to plant a church mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband would have a good chance because people still you know there's still this um this thing about women preacher you know they're not supposed to do that you know in, in the community yeah. so it's yeah. The the church that you currently serve is it majority Hmong or is it Anglo? No, it, it's a it's an Anglo church. Okay. It's, it's like ninety nine percent white people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. let me go back to your children. How old are they now? Uh, my oldest is thirty one. Oh wow. Uh, my second, yeah, my second oldest is thirty, and my youngest is twenty one. Okay. Okay. Are yeah. you a grandmother yet? I am a grandmother, Wonderful. and then I have another one on the way. Okay, well, that's exciting. It's a fun stage of life. I don't know it personally, is. but my parents love being grandparents, so. Oh, yeah. my gosh. You don't die before you become a grandparent. Yeah, yeah. I have, I have uh, my eldest is a seven-year-old girl, then I have a five-year-old boy, um, oh. uh, uh, a three-year-old girl, and a, uh, a one-year-old girl. So, oh, you have a you have a long way to wait. Yeah, 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 yeah. We we enjoy this stage of life, but I'm sure we will yeah. enjoy being yes, grandparents yeah. as well. God willing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're yeah. you're serving a majority Anglo church. Is your church uh, conservative, liberal, a mix? Uh, I think you know we're pretty you know we're good Methodists. You know, <laughs> I think you know Methodists are nice, right? But mm-hmm. you know, theologically, they're I believe that for the most part, um, most of the Methodists who are sitting on the pews mm-hmm. are still evangelical, mm-hmm. but because the, the pastor is not preaching the gospel, mm-hmm. they, they assume that they're Christian, but they really, you know, theologically, they cannot, they don't have the discernment, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I think I think for the most part, those who continue to, to come to church mm-hmm. and to hear me, I, I would say that they are conservative and mm-hmm. traditionalists, mm-hmm. even though they may disagree with me on the issue of, you know, homosexuality. But, you know, when you preach the gospel and this is what the scripture says, mm-hmm. you know, they, 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 they say, okay, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think this is why we were, you know, our church was able to, we, we voted, I think 85%. When we, when our church voted to disaffiliate, mm-hmm. Uh, we it was like an 80, 85 or 80%. Okay. Yes. Okay. So in okay, so I know a little bit about Wisconsin Annual Conference because I just yesterday recorded a segment on the Amy DeLong trial which took place yes. in 2011. This was uh, an open practicing lesbian who performed yeah. a, a gay uh, union ceremony yeah. and yeah. Uh, spent a lot of church dollars on a trial that ended yeah. up with a slap on the wrist. Um, yeah. So uh, even before that, the whole conference had come out in favor of solidarity with the LGBTQ yeah. agenda. Oh, yeah. And so this is a, a left-leaning annual conference that you're serving. Oh, yeah. um, yes. So I want to ask you two questions. One, how did they treat you as you came into the conference, into clergy? And then two, how was it to go through the disaffiliation process? How were they hostile at all? So I'm saying that so I don't forget. So as you, you be, you entered the candidacy process in what, 2010? 2010. Yeah. I think when I started, when I started seminary, I started my process right away. 
So that you know, it's a long process. Yeah, they they were they were already out as a liberal progressive annual conference. Were you aware of that when you began the candidacy process? I, no, I wasn't aware. Okay, I wasn't aware because I, like I said, you know, I came in from the Southern Baptist, and I assume the Methodists are, you know, are Christian. Mm-hmm. They believe in Jesus and God, just like me. So. Yeah. And I, I have my like I have my um my doubt, but you know, I always say, Well, you know, maybe that's just how they understand God in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because you know, they always preach about God in Jesus. And sure. so that's why, you know, if 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 people who sit on the pew, if they don't know, if they don't pay attention or they do not know their scripture, if they're not convicted, then they're gonna think that, you know, no, they're just preaching the same gospel. Mm-hmm. They love Jesus, they love yeah. God, you know. Yeah. And so I, I was, you know, I, I, I even even going through seminary, you know, you probably know Gary is probably one of the most liberal progressive seminary. Mm. And I, I went through that. And even going through seminary, I was still like, well, maybe this is how this is just how they teach so that we can become, you know, mm-hmm. better, you know, better clergy. You know, mm-hmm. I never knew the politics behind that. I never knew uh, the, you know, the, the progressive agenda be, behind all of this. And it wasn't until 2019, the special annual conference, when I saw the ugliness of people. Oh. And I, you know, and I said, you know what? Um, before before the uh, 2019 special general conference, I was still kind of on a fence. I wasn't outspoken. I was just, you know, trying to be kind and be nice. I was just, you know, mm-hmm. trying to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. But it it was after the 2019 uh, special annual conference when I see how ugly. You know, people can be. Yeah. And I said, you know what? If the progressive can be so loud and vicious about what they believe, which mm-hmm. is so not biblical, right? Uh, right. Why? Why shouldn't I be? Why shouldn't I be vocal? Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And so that's when I, I think that's when I came out really strong and I started talking about it to to my to, to my leadership team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the leaders in the church were very, they were very angry at me because they, they just cannot believe that. And, and this is the thing. Most people don't, they have a heart, they're like, they're like a frog sitting in, in a, you know, slowly cooking uh, pot mm-hmm. and they don't know it. Yeah. And so when you, when you tell them that this is what the, our, our church and our bishop and our clergy are teaching, they're like, no, that can't be right. They were actually mad at me for right. saying that this is what they're teaching. Yes. I said, no, but you have to go and do your own research. This is what they're teaching. Mm-hmm. And so it, it took it, it took me, you know, you know, some time to really, you know, convince the, the leadership, a team that this is what our denomination is teaching and this is the direction that they're going, you know. Yeah. And you know, it, it and I think it's because because the time that I've been there to build a relationship that that they they were able to 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 put their trust in what I say. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a new clergy wouldn't able to do it. Yeah. Just because just because, you know, the, the people has been brainwashed. <laughs> I use that word lightly. Uh-huh. But I mean they, they have, you know, they have no clue what being a Christian is. Mm. And what disturbs me is when I ask clergy who I thought that were pretty solid in their theology. Yeah. And when I ask them do you believe that Jesus is the only way to God? Mm-hmm. And they pause. They say, I don't know. This is when I know that. No. <laughs> yeah, when people, yeah. this is what has been exposed in the present moment in the United Methodist Church is yes. that so few have discernment 
and it's been very yeah. difficult uh, to 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 reckon with the lack of discernment yeah. on the part of leadership, um, whether you're talking about denominational leadership, bishops, or you're talking yeah. about clergy, laity. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, the even in the in any given. Christian tradition, the laity should also know what they believe and why exactly. and be able to discern the difference between the Jesus of the Bible and the Jesus yeah. that the culture wants to believe in. Exactly. And when we don't have that discernment and they don't yeah. know the difference between those, then then we're lost. Mm-hmm. We don't even have anything to offer that's different from yeah. the world. So that's the, the frustration. I want to go back to your ordination process, though, because your sensibilities— if you were in the Christian Missionary Alliance and the Southern Baptist mm-hmm. Convention, you would be uh, very conservative in your theology. Yeah. As you went through yeah. the ordination process, appeared before the Board of Ordained Ministry, went through, wrote your papers and stuff, did you get much hard pushback from the conference no, leadership? I did, I, did, I did not. I did not. That's interesting to me. Yeah, um, yeah. I have a Substack where I wrote down my story, and I got all kinds of pushback from a conference mm-hmm. that was much less liberal than yours. Yeah. I wonder how much. Do you have any thoughts on if they were more um, accepting of you because you are a woman and because you're an ethnic minority? Do you think that was the main reason why, or do you think they're just I, nicer? I, 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 I do think that's the reason why. I okay. think it's because you know my. My gender and my um, my ethnicity, I think, play into that role. Okay. Um, uh, I think you know because you know the conference you know pride themselves on diversity and, sure. and you know um, you know Wisconsin. I mean, to to their credit, they're probably one of the most diverse um, a conference as far as clergy. Uh, as far so? as clergy, I because, didn't know that. Yeah, I think we have about one third. One third of our clergy are ethnic. You know, minority ethics. I'm curious. So, I'm about to be reading a, an article by Odell Horn, who represents, in some capacity, the Black United Methodist mm-hmm. uh, community. How how big is the the Black Church in Wisconsin? Very small. Okay. okay. I think they're they're very small. I mean, I mean, you you would think, you know, in Milwaukee, that you would have some, you know, vibrant uh, churches going, but no, um, you know. Progressive Christianity cannot plant church. They cannot keep people. Um, it, it's, you know, because because they, they incentivize people, even like the Hmong church, right? Yeah. I mean, we have, I think, maybe six or five Hmong churches mm-hmm. uh, in Wisconsin, and none of those churches are disfilating. The none pastors are not talking about it. You know, the... The minority Hmong women is the one who is more vocal. Yeah, they were this. they so were counting on you to be a token minority, and uh, you've actually chosen yeah. to step up and and exercise the boldness yeah. that even most Anglo white privileged clergy are not comfortable uh, yeah. exhibiting. Yeah. So you you are a bold um, ethnic minority woman. <laughs> Leading, uh, yeah, they they say they want bold female leadership, but I wonder, have they been hostile to you at all since you? Ass- no, they they were actually really cordial. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, and, and I, I and I think I mean like I mean who can who cannot be nice to me? You know, I'm always nice <laughs> to people. You know. <laughs> Remind me who who is your bishop up there? Bishop Hasey uh, Jong. Oh, that's right. Is he Korean? Yeah. He's Korean. Okay. And the interesting thing is, he was the DS who brought my husband into the United Methodist Church. He, he was the DS who actually 
brought my husband to Green Bay. So it was kind of, you know, a um, bittersweet thing sure. uh, for him because, I, we, you know, we loved him. You know, I always thought that he was traditionalist, mm-hmm. but I did, I, in my naiveness, I just didn't know how progressive he was until, yeah. you know, recent year. But uh, no, I, I think that, you know, being a, uh, if the first woman, uh, Mon Clergy, and, you know, being um, the minority, mm-hmm. um, I think that has a lot to do with, you know, people, especially white people who has a lot of privilege. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't really want to, you know, I don't think they want to say too much to me. Huh. Uh, I have been I have been told that I need to decolonize my faith. Uh, <laughs> not, the, not the faith I have in Jesus is uh-huh. a white man's faith. It is a white mm-hmm. man message. So yeah. I need I've been colonized. Yeah. And yeah. so I need to colonize my decolonize my faith. And I'm just like and this comes from white. Yeah. Privilege. Yeah, it's fun when white it's yeah. fun when white people tell ethnic minorities that they're not the right kind of ethnic minority. Yeah. <laughs> that they don't have no. the right beliefs. Yeah, that's fun. So, yeah, I, I was just curious how much pushback you've gotten because it yeah. is, you know, it, it, progressives will tell uh, conservative people of a different ethnicity that they're wrong sometimes, but a lot of times they yeah. have that intersectional justice thing where they'll just kind of be quiet if they're in the presence of an ethnic minority woman. So you've had yeah. you've had both. Um, yeah. let me get clear yeah. on, it was 2019 when you really saw how bad the divide was in the denomination. Mm-hmm. At what point did you come and take, what, at what point did you take leadership in the WCA? How did that work out? Okay. So, um, the, the WCA, uh, chapter in Wisconsin, uh, started by a, uh, a man named Ron Pagram and he, um, he recruited me to be part of the, the council member of the WCA in Wisconsin. And so he, uh, he actually, unfortunately, he, uh, he, um, he was, um, he, 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 uh, he had a uh, pancreas, uh, cancer. Mm. Mm. And so he passed away, um, I think last, last year. And so he, um, he, he just, I don't know why, but he appointed me. He said, Ma, why don't you, you know, I'm going to, you're going to be the chair. I said, why, why me? You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm a new pastor. I don't know what I'm doing. Why I mean, you have so many clergy who are seasoned and who are very well spoken and very well known. Why me? You know, mm-hmm. but I guess he has his reason. Yeah. Uh, so, but that's how I came into uh, to be a part of this um, leading the WCA. Yeah. But I want to tell you a, a experience. And I, I think this is why I, this is why a lot of, um, this is just, and this is just my perception. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think this is why a lot of the uh, progressive clergies and even the uh, even the conference they 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 are not hostile toward me because of this experience. At the 2019 annual conference, uh, you know, we were voting for delegates mm-hmm. to to go to general conference, and I was one of the delegate. Uh, I, my name was you know one, my name was um, one of the uh, the candidate. Mm-hmm. And so everybody knew, you know, uh, my position at, at that time. And so when we were at annual conference, my name was up there. Mm-hmm. Number two, number three, number two, number three. I never won. I, I did not win. Even though my name was like, I tell you, almost at every ballot, it's like one, two, one, two, one, mm. two. My name was called at every ballot, but I never win the vote. Oh, no. And so here, this conference whose message is 
oh, we are for diversity. We are for inclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are inclusion, but you, your tent is not big enough for someone like me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're, they're fine for diversity when it comes to the different ways that people look. However, they only want people to believe a certain yeah. set of ideas. They they don't want to exactly. have diversity of of yeah. theology. And they manage they manage to vote for all white people. Uh huh. Yeah. And maybe one or two minority as the second, you mm. know? Mm. So, okay, so don't tell me that you are for diversity and you are for inclusion because look at the candidate that you elected, all mm-hmm. white people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think part of part of the reason why they uh, they are not hostile to me is because of their own embarrassment, of their own of their own doing. Okay, sure. That makes you sense. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's still, you know, uh, part of me thinks it's helpful whenever People expose what they actually believe. And, you know, in 2019 at the General Conference, you got to see people stop pretending that they love us and they they expose that hate that they have. But it it also is really hard to have colleagues that you've done ministry alongside of for eight, nine years look at you with just hatred in their face. And and this is one of those things where, um, you know, in my conference in Oklahoma, there was a longstanding history of progressives and conservatives working alongside of one another mm-hmm. and getting along. However, when the time came to fight, progressives had no res- reservations about behaving dishonestly, abusively, uh, coercively. And so um, uh, I guess I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that you were treated better than conservative clergy and leadership in a lot of annual conferences because it really is so upsetting to see it even if you yeah. can understand it on one level it still just really hurts emotionally so yeah yeah i think so and i think uh, last year when we were going through the distillation process you know mm-hmm. which is like 17 steps and i was leading it and i i i thank god that i was i'm able to be used in this special time because mm-hmm. i don't know if it was a white male leading this that i don't know I, I just think that it may have been a different story because, you know, when I, last year, when we first started this process, mm-hmm. I actually got an email from um, the second, the, the right-hand man of the bishop, who mm-hmm. is now the bishop of the Northern Illinois. Okay. I don't know if you know Dan Shereen. Mm-hmm. He, um, I actually got an email from him and he says, in so many words, we heard that you are spreading misinformation. Yeah. And then you, that you need to stop mm-hmm. in so many words mm-hmm. because if you don't, your 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 appointment is at at risk. Yeah. So yeah. he he threatened me with my appointment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just email him back and I say, you know what, you are the leader of the conference. You are a leader, and so you should not believe easily what you hear. Did you hear this from me? Mm. Who do I who who did I misinform and mm-hmm. where did I say it to? Because right. I have not gone into any church and do anything. Right. Yeah. So if you just hear this from somebody, you shouldn't easily believe. Yeah. And I just never heard from, back from him. <laughs> <laughs> well, good good for you to challenge an accusation in that way. So many um, conservative clergy get. Uh, instantly intimidated and cowed when yeah. they get a, a message like that for you to step forward and say, tell me the particulars 
you, you shouldn't so quickly believe you should give me a chance to, to tell you what's happening before you make an accusation. Exactly. Good for you, Mal. Exactly. That's pretty cool. Um, so, <laughs> you know, to me, to me, Jeffrey, it's like, I have nothing to lose. It's yeah. like, what is he going to do? What? Mm -hmm. Pay me away from this church? So yes. what? I can get a job. You know, I just, like, I mean, I have nothing to lose. This is not about job security yeah. for me, you know? Good for you. Well, and it yeah. shouldn't be about job security for anybody, and yet for so many yeah. people, that is what figures yeah. into it. So the disaffiliation process, I think you're right. Depending on the annual conference, if you were a white male and you were taking an active role in helping the church discern its disaffiliation, mm -hmm. um, that that the hammer would get brought down on. And yeah. it did happen on in this way with the email, but I do think, uh, well, it's impossible to say how many benefits there are yeah. to being a non-white male in any given yeah. situation. But even so, yeah. you made it through the process. Your church took the yeah. vote. Um, is the Wisconsin disaffiliation process, is it especially burdensome or is it pretty fair? Um, I mean, what I heard from Tom Lambert, if you know Tom Lambert, he uh -huh. is a, a, you know, a, a member of the Wisconsin Annual Conference. We are so privileged to have Tom in our Wisconsin um, uh WCA uh, mm -hmm. board. So he's always there to guide us and, and you know, help us. So mm -hmm. we are grateful for him. And according to Tom, um, yeah, it is, you know, it, it is burdensome, but he said it's probably one of the most gracious uh, process. Okay. That's good to know. But, you know so, yeah. So, I mean, we just have to ha go through all of these steps and mm -hmm. they, they, they made it particularly hard because I think they want to make sure that if a church is going to disfile, that they are making the best decision, that this is what they want to do. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and so I, I understand that. And so, yeah, but for the most part, I think they're, they're, they're pretty fair. And I was, you know, I was surprisingly um, very happy how it was handled. The vote was handled at annual conference because I thought it was going to be just a mess. But no, the bishop, you know, to his credit, he was very gracious and peaceful, and he encouraged, you know, peace. You know? How many? How many disaffiliations were there at your annual conference? Uh, there were forty-three churches. Forty-three churches that disaffiliated out of mm -hmm. looks like there are four hundred forty-five churches in the annual conference yeah, as of yeah. twenty twenty-one. I'm looking yeah. at my spreadsheet here. So your bishop and your uh, whole annual conference, it was a, a, an amicable, polite, gracious time. Yeah, yeah. for the most part, it was. I mean, I didn't, you know, nobody call me names or anything like that. So. That's <laughs> it great. Was good. Yeah. 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 So then now your, your church has dis... Well, are you still in the period where you're getting all of we, your legal documents done? Yeah, yeah, yeah we... Every church is in their own, you know, we have until the end of the year to to turn in everything that the conference requests. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Um, so hopefully everybody, all of the 43 churches will be able to complete the process. Yeah. Uh, there are things that they are requesting. And there are some churches that, you know, um, it may be harder for, for them to get these documents than others. But my church is almost complete. We just have, we're at the last step. Um and we just got an email from the GMC yesterday that we've been approved. And hey, so congratulations. That's, GMC, yeah. And so, are, you, are you GMC clergy yet? I will be by the end of this month. Okay. Okay. Yeah. July 1st, then I will be. Yeah. yeah. And then you'll be on the road to being a new GMC bishop, I'm sure. 
<laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to be one of the presiding elder uh, cool. in Wisconsin. Because uh, I don't know if you heard, but um, we July beginning July 1st are the Great Lakes Provisional Annual Conference uh, will go live. And I will be I've been a part of that. And I yeah. So um, do you serve on the TCAT there? I yeah I'm, I'm I serve as a TCAT here and then um so it's Wisconsin Illinois Indiana and Michigan so I think total we have probably close to two hundred churches right wow. now okay yeah. you're bigger so, um, you're bigger than our area here I'm in uh, we're calling our area the heartland area oh, okay. of the GMC and I think we're only two hundred or one hundred seventy GMC churches so far I think. Oh, I think that we're probably there. Uh, hopefully, by the end of the year, yeah, we may hit two two hundred. Because you know, I, I did not know, but, but Michigan actually have a lot of churches, Is that right? more churches than Wisconsin. I think in Wisconsin, if the bishop would allow for another uh, another uh, disfilation, mm -hmm. uh, another special union conference, we would have more churches. But um, they're not. We have. They have no more other options uh, as far as the twenty five fifty three paragraph. So uh, this is it, uh, unless something so, else come up in 2024. How many other churches do you think would want to disaffiliate in Wisconsin? I would, I would say at least as many as we have now. Uh, a lot. Of, I know there were a few uh, churches or sh a few delegates from the annual conference who protested that they never heard about it. You know, and and the, and the sad thing is, you know, the majority of the pastors are, are progressive, and so a lot of yeah. progressive pastors are determined not to talk about it. Right. I mean, I heard, I heard uh, people said uh, the the pastors, no, we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to disagree. So we're not talking about it. Yeah. You know. So um, and you know, and and Rick, and the reason why I um, uh, I go back to you know why I decided to um, to uh, to to speak on this because I feel that. For the majority of the people in the pews, mm -hmm. they are still theologically conservative. Right. Yeah. And how sad it is! It is so sad that the pa because the pastor is progressive, that mm -hmm. the pastor is not going to be proactive, not going to talk about it because they have made made the decision to not let the people know. Right. And you know, if I did not prepare my church, uh you know, for the past two, three years, mm -hmm. we probably wouldn't be where we are today, yeah. you know? And so, so for me, that is really sad. Yeah. Yeah. How many churches really would not be happy to be in the future United Methodist Church, but they are not, they have not been given that ability to discern that for themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a really sad future for a lot of these churches that feel trapped and have to decide if yeah. they're just going to leave their buildings and assets behind. Uh, I'm glad yeah. your church isn't one of those churches, but I, I'm of the mind, you know, there by the end of this year, by the end of 2553, it looks like there will be 6,000 or more churches that have disaffiliated. I'm of the mind that even more than that would well, want to disaffiliate. Yeah, go ahead. Yesterday, I had a, I have, I have a, our last meeting with Jake Thorell, and I wrote it down. He says, as, as of yesterday, we have, where I put it? We have, I think, 6,000 6, churches that disaffiliated. They already have? Yes. Yeah, as, as, of, as, of, um, as of yesterday. Wow. Yeah. 
Yes, six thousand. There, there's so, still several special annual conferences uh, yeah, scheduled. Yeah. So who knows? But yeah, I'm so of the mind pro- that he, several he more want to get out if they could, but are yeah. not going to be able to. Yeah, he projected that by the end of this year we would have like seventy two hundred churches. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well it's 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 been really um I, I reached out to we're gonna see if I can put it together. Uh the the protocol for graceful, peaceful reconciliation and separation. That was crafted in 2020 for the general conference that was then postponed. Uh Um, We are now treating that. It'll be considered next year, but it'll be dead on arrival. Um, Mm -hmm. The guy who put that together is Ken Feinberg, who who offered his services to us. And I, I thought, it's just so unfortunate that we had people pour their energy into a peaceable separation and then yeah. instead we've had this very contentious time of um uh, the the denomination coercing congregations into staying against their will and stuff so i thought um why don't i reach out to ken feinberg and see if he would do an interview yeah. talking about that so he actually and I, we're trying to arrange a, an interview sometime soon because i wonder if he has any wisdom for us to offer because i'm so glad to hear about Wisconsin, as far left as it is, I'm so glad to hear that they were kind to right-leaning churches that wanted yeah. to exit. But that's not necessarily the norm when you look at all the other annual conferences in America. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, it's due to the bishop. I think the bishop has really um, tried hard to, you know, make peace. Mm-hmm. You know, There are peacemaker be- bishops. There yeah. are some. He always, Yeah, he always preaches about peace, and mm-hmm. he... He always affirmed that, you know, if 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 you want to go, uh, you should go. You know, he's not going to make anybody who wants to go um, stay. Yeah. You know, the unfortunate part is, you know, the um, it's just this process that they made. It's so like the timeline is so tight that if yeah. you miss the first deadline, you're done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wonder about many conferences are already using paragraph 2549 to allow churches to simply be mm-hmm. closed pay yeah. a certain fee, and then take all their assets with them. I wonder how much that is going to be used uh, yeah. in the coming year b- between yeah. now and the general conference. I wonder if your bishop yeah. is open to that at all. Do you know? I, I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure. Well, yeah. let me ask you this. You have the same—I think you and I are standing at about the same elevation looking at the big picture. What do you think—do you think there is anything to be done for churches that are left behind— who want to disaffiliate, but the window has closed on their disaffiliation process. Do you think that there's anything those churches and their leadership should be looking at doing, or do you think that they're just? Um, I, I think right now, for the most part, I think a lot of them are just waiting for what will come out from 2024 general yeah. conference. I know Tom Lambert and Jay Thorell, they're working on a, um, on a um, legislation uh, to uh, to have another, you know, another um, exit provision. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's the only hope. Yeah. If there's another way that are created at 2024 General Conference, if not, I think a lot of churches would probably just leave the building, especially um, uh, big, big <laughs> humongous churches in, yeah. the, in the city that causes them all their money to maintain uh, yeah. and their small congregation, they might just, you know, and especially uh, the, the minority churches where they're just ministry, they don't have their own building. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and they can walk out anytime. So yeah. I I see, uh, I, I could see, um, like, especially like the Hmong churches. I already heard that um, they're just waiting for 2024. If the language and the discipline changes regarding human sexuality, they will walk. Yeah. So uh, that is what I heard. So. I mean, for the most part, the ethnic churches are still pretty traditional uh, yeah. when it comes to their theology. And so um, it, it, the, the reason why they're remaining is because part of it is their loyalty to the conference. Yeah. But also um, uh, because they, uh, they they just don't know what the GMC is. And it, it, it's, it's, it's going to be unknown. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. I Whenever I spoke with Odell, um he was pretty clear that black churches are more conservative than the yeah. the Anglo churches in America. Yeah. But even so, he said they're not early adopters, first off. And mm-hmm. I think that does deal with this going into the unknown thing. I think maybe yeah. if there is such a thing as white privilege, white, white folks can be more confident going into the unknown yeah. because they just know how to navigate yeah. those waters better than ethnic minority churches um, yeah. in, in some ways. Yeah. So we are yeah, bigger and I risk think there, there, there are some concerns, uh, legitimate concern from uh, the minority clergy, mm-hmm. you know, because the appointment system in the GMC is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church, the local churches is going to have a lot more say mm-hmm. in their new pastors. So, you know, a lot of um, ethnic pastors uh, are, you know, not comfortable. You know, they don't know if they may not have or they may not get an appointment. So right. it's. I mean, it's, it's understandable, um, but um, I think it goes back to what I said earlier. You know, it is it is a call, and it is not a, a job a security. Uh-huh. Uh, are you going to trust God? Or are you going to trust the system? You know. Sure. Yeah. I mean, once you say once you say yes to the Lord uh, as a clergy and being used by God, you gotta be willing to go where God calls you. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that's how I think that's how my husband and I, and, and talking about me moving a lot and i think yeah. that plays a lot into, into how i'm formed because i'm not afraid of moving because i right. i can i can god can put me in a strange place and i will fit right in because i know how to do that you know yeah you are but a I particularly resilient person um yeah yeah we needed this was a moment when we needed a lot more people like you and you really yeah. are quite a rare personality in this whole mix. It's not to say that nobody but you has been bold. Yeah. But we needed many more models of boldness uh, like yours. And so that was one of the reasons I was excited to to record mm-hmm. something with you today because a lot of people don't know who you are and they don't have many models of uh, bold clergy leadership. And I think it really puts to shame a lot of our leadership when they go, heck, here's this ethnic minority woman who English <laughs> is a second language and she she has accomplished so much. She has so much confidence. And she's sitting here telling her story saying, what are they going to do to me? They're going to fire me? <laughs> and to have your boldness and your clarity, I, I would love to just be having people tell those stories all day so that the people, the career pastors who look at yeah, this as job yeah. security can feel some rightful shame about um, how they've had a lack of boldness in this process. So, Mal, yeah, thank yeah. you for your example. Of course. You know, it's just, and, and and I think that's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I try not to judge, right? I try mm. not to judge people. Right. But at the same time, I also, I also understand, you know, um, my calling, you right. know, and I mean, I could have, um, you know, have a nice job and have, have a home, nice home security home in 
rooted my family and have, you know, have all everything that I need, but that is not what God's called me to do. Mm. You know, the moment I plant, the moment I want to grow root, God uprooted me. You know, mm-hmm. the moment I want to grow root, God uprooted me to it. Like, yeah. Okay, God, whatever. Just whatever. <laughs> We need, you, want. you know, it's funny. We, we have so many people in leadership talk about uh, going out of our comfort zone and following yeah. God's prompting. And even as we talk about it, we're so reluctant to do it. It's almost as though we think by talking about it, we don't have to do it. Um, yeah. But yeah, we need, yeah, we need those examples of people who are actually practicing what we all preach. So uh, I, I hope God continues to bless your ministry as you enter the Global Methodist Church. I think both of you, you, you and I are very... You know, the, the conversation that needs to happen now is, now that we have left the United Methodist Church, what kind of church are we going to build together in the exactly. Global Methodist Church? What cultural exactly. practices are we going to carry over from the United Methodist Church? Yeah. And what yeah. new things, you know, what what new standards are we going to insist upon to protect us from from going yeah. through the same thing yeah. again? So yeah. I, I hope the, the fact, I had forgotten that Tom Lambrecht was from your area. So the fact that yeah. you and he are together, I would like to think that, that you two, along with several others, can form a, a good team maintaining good scriptural holiness in the oh, GMC. Yeah. Um, we have a great team going here, um, mm. and we have accomplished so much. You should follow us sometime. Uh, I think in, uh, at the end of October, the last week in October, we're going to have our first provision convening uh, annual conference um, in a southern part of Illinois. So great. it's going to be great. Well, uh, how about with this interview, you send me whatever links you like to Facebook page or website or whatever, yeah. and we'll promote okay. your your new provisional annual conference. And then okay. is there anything else that you think would be good to to plug or promote while people are watching this? Um, well, I don't think there's anything else, but I just want to, I want to say, mm-hmm. um, I, I want to say uh, to the uh, you know the minority clergies and pastors who who are afraid that the GMC is not going to uh, you know be friendly toward minority or ethnic clergies. I just want to assure you that GMC is totally uh, for you. They will welcome you, and I think that me being a part of the leadership TCAD with the uh, Great Lakes Provision Annual Conference and working with you know. I mean, so many great leaders. Um, it's a privilege, and mm-hmm. I think that the GMC is um, is really about. Uh, I mean, we are the true inclusivity. <laughs> we include, <laughs> we include, you know, mm-hmm. everybody, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and so, um, yeah. So I just, I just want to encourage, uh, you know, if you are a minority clergy and you're afraid of the GMC, uh, please do not be afraid. Um, and, you know, uh, there are many who think that the GMC is not going to ordain or uh, clergy women, you know, they're mm. not going to promote a clergy women. And look at look at me, you know, I um, we have clergy, uh, clergy uh, women in, in leadership. Mm-hmm. We have clergy women, you know, uh, doing all sorts of stuff in the conference, uh, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the denomination. So right. I, yeah. I think this is just what I want to, to say and encourage uh uh, minority clergies and also, you know, women clergy who may be afraid of the yeah. GMC. Yeah, I think it, it, as much as the denomination has been clear on these things, the Global Methodist yeah. Church has been clear, it's still hard to believe until you yeah. see actual uh, minority female clergy speaking and taking positions of leadership. Yeah. I, I, I just think that's one of those things that's only words until you actually yeah. see the people, so... 
Definitely, definitely. Well, I I think that's a good place to end. So let's, uh, maybe there's another future conversation. It looks like you're going to be in leadership for a bit longer, but for now, we'll draw this to a close. You and I are going to stay on and and pray for a little bit afterwards. But if if someone has watched this conversation and and you've enjoyed uh, getting to know about Mal and her uh, uh, ministry, go ahead and follow the provisional annual conference that she's a part Mm -hmm. of. If uh, you are an ethnic minority or female clergy and you would benefit from visiting with her personally, um, her name is in in the field of the video you're watching. You can search for her on Facebook and I'm sure she'll be happy to hear from you, right? Yeah, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty active in Facebook too. So, you know, you guys can follow me or find me there. Very good. Well, thanks. Thanks everybody for supporting Plain Spoken. A lot of good content coming uh, down the pike. So go ahead and subscribe and share this stuff, especially if you know somebody, uh, Mal is particularly concerned with a few demographics. So if you know anybody in that camp, send this along to them. Um, we, Mal and I, and and several others believe that light is the best disinfectant. And so we just need to spread good information at this point. And thank you for being a part of that with me. And Mal, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jeffrey, for the opportunity.